hybrids welcome back for another episode of the phantom hybrid podcast we have the whole crew tonight and we are going to be discussing cursed episode five um where to start where to start we we start there. We my girl Pim. my girl Pim is totally is totally <laughs> at weasley she's 100 percent weasley she cannot convince me otherwise especially when she when she got on the ship and she was like uh, no, I, I'm not a fake. Then the critic was like, yes, I'm a fake. I can heal. Yes, I can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Pim. I love Pim. Awesome. And, and she's 100% a Weasley. You cannot, you cannot convince me otherwise. So you're saying she's like a distant um, past relation of the Weasleys? Exactly. I think, I, I, I think she's a part of it. I'm, I'm 100% sure she cannot convince me otherwise. Well, well, I she mean, was, she's fake. The Weasleys are wizards. They both deal with magic. You know? Exactly. Not too much of a stretch. And they're off and they're extremely on she's extremely awkward. You cannot tell me that's not <laughs> that is not a weasley at all. And I love and I love her for it. And and I'm here for it all of that. Her pulling arrows out of people and looking at looking at tall, blonde Vikings awkwardly and all that. <laughs> that totally fits. You know <laughs> you know, and we still don't know that dude's name. He's I love that every time someone comes to check on the train. <laughs> yeah. What is it now? We still don't know his name. I'm I'm just I you know when I'm when I'm writing my notes I keep referring to him as handsome stranger. But um Doff? Doff? Yes. Doff. Yes, okay. I think that's it. Because he doesn't look like his picture in IMDB, so I was like, I can't remember his <laughs> name. I had the same thing. But, but yeah. He has a thing for Pim. I know. Because, yeah, Pim is, Pim is just like, see, that, that's what most shows need is that one awkward person who keep, who makes you laugh in the midst of all the serious stuff that's going around, like, like sister, like, like, like sister, kill, sister kill a bitch and burn, sister, <laughs> <laughs> sister burner nunnery running around free and shit. And it's like, you have to have somebody who's like, and that's him, and I love her for it. Oh my goodness, that's too funny. Well, that's cool because it starts with the Ice King. We meet him. Yeah, it started like with violence. Like we start the episode, we we hear screaming, and we hear. And at first, you know, when the episode started, I was like, "Oh, are we hearing like from the the Abbey?" But no, we start seeing some other things, and then they're just like chopping folks' heads off, and it's just like, "Oh, okay, this is how we're gonna start." So yeah, that's Cumber the Ice King, and he is on a mission. Um, looks like he's trying to get to Uther Pendragon. He, uh, Cumber claims that he is the true blood heir to House Pendragon, and the thing that kind of struck me on this was this is the second time that mention has been made about Uther's background or his uh, parentage, like he's not supposed to be the true king, because okay. I think Lord Rugen said something about it too when he was talking to Merlin. Um, he mentioned uh, when when he was trying to figure out if Merlin, you know, left or if Uther kicked him out. He said something about is is it a question of who he is? Is, is I think is his it, lineage. Yes. Is it a question of his yeah, lineage? Yeah, of his lineage. So I'm like, hmm, what's going on with that? And boy, we found out a we found out a mouthful about that at the end of the episode, didn't we? Uh, yeah. 
But we, we, I guess we have to assume that Cumber is a cousin of the Pendragons. Yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah, because I think if you, you know, vaguely remember history, we know that nobles in different countries would marry off, you know, other nobles in order to solidify alliances. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that um, a Pendragon was married into this noble Viking family, and that's how he's able to claim parentage or lineage to be the the true blood heir of of um wherever Uther is king, <laughs> Britain, I guess. But yeah. it would make it would make sense, you know, especially if there is a question of Uther's parentage. So there there are rumors about whether or not he's a true heir. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it it's it's funny because when we hear the story um at the end of the episode, uh basically Merlin goes to have a conversation with the Queen Regent and he tells this story that he knows, um, and it's called the story of the midwife. And basically it talks about a queen regent whose king died a few months before she gave birth and you know she she was having some difficulty with the childbirth and the the male child was born stillborn and so what she did was she came up with this plan with the midwife and the midwife went to one of the peasant women who had recently had a newborn child and basically paid her for her child um, so that the queen regent could claim that the child was her living uh, heir. And um, the the rumors are that the, the, the peasant woman was, she, she died mysteriously as did anyone who had any kind of knowledge of this transaction and the midwife disappeared after everyone started dying. And so there's a little bit of banter between Merlin and the Queen Regent, you know, about whether or not the the midwife met her end or if she, you know, stayed gone, you know, just to kind of disappear and not, um, you know, not meet the same end that everyone else did. And then Arthur says, I mean, excuse me, Merlin says, or there's another scenario it could be that she's alive and well and under my protection. And he walks out of the room with that. And I'm like, oh, so Merlin has... One of those mic drops of all. Right. So, like, Merlin has known all this time that Uther is not the true king, which is probably why he treats Uther the way that he does. I don't know. But Uther is not the true king. And I would assume that he dropped that little bit of knowledge to the queen regent for, I don't know, I don't want to say blackmail purposes because Merlin does not seem like he would need to blackmail, but maybe just to kind of keep her in line, like, okay, I need you to chill out because I, you know, it's been, it's been implied before that she does not like Merlin. She, she thinks Merlin turned her son against her, which now that we know this background is probably one of the reasons why Merlin was trying to, I guess, put some distance between Uther and his mother. But, um, yeah, you know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some plan to this, you know, Merlin and his wit, he's always got a plan and, uh, he just like, he just played a huge, you know, I don't want to say Trump card, but he just played a huge, you know, card 
it's just like it's, it's almost like again he, he's he's drawing he's still drawing really strict comparisons to Captain Jack Sparrow. And all I could, all I could, all I could see is him walking out saying, "I've got the job done," and <laughs> but it's like, but I mean that's some that's some clever intent shit. Like you did now that you now that you know that you kind of have to rethink everything that he's said and every and the way that he's been acting is like, well, maybe he's acting that way because he knows he's not really serving the king. He's right. serving somebody who is who is really not worthy of being king. So he's like, yeah, whatever, Rain, I got you. Whatever. And it's like, and he, if, I, would you, I'm trying to think if he would have actually still had, if he didn't have his magic and he was actually serving a real king, would he have lasted that long? I don't know. But, because you would you would think that someone who was actually the king would would be wiser and know that he's not really helping you so get so get stepping going somewhere, but since Uther is really dependent on him and he's not he probably I mean let's face it the lineage that he probably came from is not the smart probably not the smartest lineage or they probably didn't raise him I mean he probably wasn't capable of being king. So he could fall for anything. So if 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 you would have had a smarter king, they probably would have figured it out within a couple of a couple of misspells. They're like, oh, you don't have any power. Why are you here? Go ahead, shoot, beat it. You know, and that's the interesting thing because if even if he is not the true king by blood, the queen regent raised him as her son. And we all see she's fairly clever. She's fairly manipulative. She's fairly, she's got some intelligence about her. So the the fact that none of that passed on to Uther is just mind blowing. Yeah, she's she's devious as all get out. Like she always has plans. She hasn't eaten any food because she she swears that it's going to be poisoned. And her room must must really stink, by the way. I was just thought about that. But she had fresh she had fresh fruit food in there this time. It's like, yeah, there was still some rotten food, but there was some other food in there that was a little fresh. Because even when earlier in the episode when Uther came to her room to seek her counsel, he basically asked her, you know, is this poisoned? And she was like, not all of it. So it's like, I don't know who she's expecting to come and sit and dine with her and eat the good food when she has the rotting food still sitting just mere, like, feet away. But she's obviously plotting for something. I don't know. Something's well, not right about all, that woman. She's already tried to kill him. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think some of it, some of how he is may have to do with her knowing that's not really her child so she may not have raised him the way that she would have raised her own child yeah and, but and i think she, a lot of that might be part of it too because honestly because of all the inbreeding you know monarchs aren't really known for their intelligence anyway <laughs> I mean. yeah but wouldn't it wouldn't it behoove her to train him train him the best that she could like because if he if she doesn't train him, and people start noticing start noticing differences, then that reflects on her. Then all the one thing that she doesn't want is question. She doesn't want anybody questioning whether he's really a blood heir. 
if, if that happens, then the the throne might as well be up for grabs. I mean, anybody might as well be. Up well, I, I would think her intent would be to have him as like a puppet head, and she would be the one controlling the strings. And, yeah. And I think the only reason why she did that was, you know, especially in Britain during that time, all the monarchy was was patriarchy. It was all about you had to be a man to be the king. They didn't have rights really. And so her husband dies, the king dies, and if she doesn't have an heir, a male heir, then the throne is going to be up for grabs for whatever other blood relative he has around. And so she probably was, you know, hoping that she could just manipulate him and be the one in charge. But of course, with Merlin there, that that probably became a problem. He probably made things more difficult. He probably got in the way every time she was trying to have Uther do something. It would turn around and 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 Merlin would be in the way doing something else because Merlin's been around a lot longer and he's been an advisor to the Pendragon Kings for the longest times. So of course. Uther is going to be all over the place because he has two people pulling at him, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I wrote this down for later to talk about, but he he talks about himself in the third person, like plural. That irritates, <laughs> what that do you want us me. to do? And that is a sign of someone with some serious mental problems. You know, we don't feel that we should be that way or how can you help us? You know, and he does that a lot. And that that is a sign of someone with some mental problems. But, you know, I've noticed that in other um, period pieces as well, when it comes to uh, monarchy or royalty, they, they tend to do that. If you think about um, in the Tudors, watching that show, King Henry VIII also referred to himself in that way sometimes. And yep. I've noticed it in other period pieces. Well, they kind of noticed... consider themselves and the crown as two separate entities. Yeah. So but but still, that that still is usually a sign of someone who's not mentally all there, which goes back to what I was saying about a lot of inbreeding caused a lot of issues in in some monarchs. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. This is, this is actually a, a, a real thing. It's, I'm using a slang for it, but it's actually called royalty speak, where there's three different layers of language. There's the regular language that you and I speak, there's the language of the court, and then there is a particular language of royalty, and they are allowed, because they are a royal personage, to use the pronoun or noun we when expressing personal feelings of the state or the land, when they want to refer to something personal amongst uh, court people of their area, they can go into you and I. So the way that they're speaking is actually considered what they call royal speak, and they kind of are trained from childbirth to speak that way in front of anyone who isn't a king or their level. So mm. they, that's actually historically correct. Oh, okay. But okay. but he does it with everybody, which yeah. is, you know, it's, it's kind and of that, like... That's the way he, should. he should actually do that to everybody except for another king. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, that explains it all. Okay, learn something new. Hey. Okay. Well, How you know in the last half of battle? (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, Uther is, you know, 
from the moment we're introduced to him in this series, he's always come across as like an odd duck. Like, I, I don't know what to think about him because you look at him and you look at the way he carries himself and the way he speaks and it's just kind of like, I would never, ever think that this man is king. And and even with the way that, I mean, the way that his mother speaks to him, you know, I mentioned this before, you can see she has no real respect for him. You know, she she kind of talks down to him like she has some disdain for him. But then at the same time, it's kind of like she has that, it, it's that, it's that weird in between where she she knocks him down and then she kind of lifts him up a little bit as well. You know, it's like I'm putting you down, but then I'm going to say something nice to you to make you not think that I'm putting you down. And it's just a weird thing because when he talks to her, he wants to come across like he has some authority. But then also he speaks to her as if he is a child just wanting his mother's approval, you know. And it's like, this is the man who rules, like, the kingdom? Yeah, you sound, like, you sound like Richard, like King Richard in Robin Hood Tales. Like, he's not really, he's kind of in that, and he really does not know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> and he's just kind of, he's just kind of going along. And it's like, you know, anyone, anyone who questions him, He's always trying to trying to do the best he can, but when it doesn't go right, he looks for someone to blame and he throws a tantrum. You know, he throws an angry tantrum when he doesn't have a play. I'm sorry, I'm going back into the Robin Hood. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I think that's what happens. It's like, you know, he does, when something he throws a huge tantrum and it doesn't go his way, which is like why he sentenced Berlin to death, and that didn't necessarily work out. Well, he's somewhat struggling because, you know, he can't rely, he hasn't been able to rely on Merlin to give him solid advice. And he locked his mom up in the tower and is not listening to her. So for the, probably the last, I, I would venture to say a year or two, maybe more, he's just been kind of struggling, especially with the Red Paladin going around, you know, slaughtering his cities looking for fate and he's not really he's not doing anything about it you know and and a lot of that has to do with merlin not really being there and apparently not really caring and on the flip side his mom is he can't trust her because she tried to kill him right so yeah he he looks really inept right now because he doesn't seem to have anyone he can rely on for solid advice yeah Yeah, he's between a rock and a hard place it's like there's really no one he can turn to Right. And even if he turns to him, he does. He can't trust whatever advice they give him, really, because they could be looking to get him out of, get him off the throne. Yeah. So, yeah, he and he doesn't. And when bless his heart, he doesn't really have the wits to get where he needs to be. He doesn't have the wits to get above all this, which kind of proves that he's not really worthy of the throne. Which is going back to the queen's fault for. Going out, going out, and just going, going out, knocking from door to door, going out and trusting their midwife to bring a male heir back that can handle this. And I mean, this is this all goes back she to her. her title because if you pay attention, she is the royal queen regent, not the royal queen dowager, which means that he hasn't married yet. So that means mm-hmm. that even though he's king, she can still be the regent, overrule certain cities, which I thought was very interesting because I wasn't paying attention 
uh, before, but I paid really close attention, you know, because I was captioned on. And I was like, oh, so I think she's in that tower because he knows that she can veto something really important if needed, and he can't get away with what he really wanted. But she also knows that, quite frankly, he's an idiot. Right. Now, let me ask a question because I'm not very familiar with the way, um, you know, lineage and um, I guess how, how it all works. So when Merlin was telling the story, he was saying that the queen regent, with, with the king being dead, the queen regent knew that having a male child was her best chance at being queen or her best chance of inheriting the kingdom so my question is if something were to happen to uther and i'm thinking about the fact that she that we think she tried to poison him at some point with him not being married with him not having any heirs what would happen if he were to die would she become ruler or would that be would that pass to whoever is the closest heir and I guess if it, I guess if it's the closest heir, they would automatically like put she she would lose her position because there's no, there's no, no one. That, okay, two things could happen if he has a bastard. Okay, <clears throat> they can choose to legally, like Jon Snow, legally adopt him, and then she would continue being the new regent of the new heir. If he dies with no issue, they can prove that there's no issue, but they could also prove that there's no second, first, second, or third cousins within the area. She could become the regent, then regent dowager, until they appoint a new king. Either way, if he dies, she's got a good three to six months before something can kick off and take her out of office. Okay. And, and I'm sure that she had a plan in place for when he died. She probably had already secured a lot of support among the court. Mm -hmm. And pretty much that's all you need. Because even in, like, Lord of the Rings, they don't really talk about it, but in the books, there had been other descendants of Isildur who had gone before the quote-unquote court in Gondor to claim the lineage, to, to claim it, and they rejected them for various reasons. It's just that when Aragorn came, he had all, everything that he needed to to actually overcome the people, you know, the, the steward, who would literally stab them in the back and be like, oh, no, you're not the actual heir. But he was able to overcome that. So I'm sure that she had enough support among the court to take over if anything did happen. And even if someone like the Ice King were to come and be like, I'm the true heir, she would still be in charge and she would be in control of the army and they would fight for it. And they probably would win. So I'm sure she had, she had a, um, a, a plan for that because she wouldn't have done it if she didn't. I'm, I'm pretty sure she seems more clever than just to kill him and not have a plan for for seizing control. I swear to God, you learn something new every day. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in such appreciation of all the knowledge you and Lori have been dropping on the guys because I had no idea of what was going on. I had no idea of any of that. So this actually this actually makes to put the story in a more clear perspective for me. So, damn, good looking out. Hmm. Well, before we move on, uh, you know, we, we're, we're talking about um, Uther and his mother and that, that kind of that sway between his mother and Merlin and not knowing who to follow because both of them have been 
I guess pretty unreliable for him. But when he does go to see his mother, he does ask her opinion about everything that's going on. You know, uh, Cumber the Ice King is basically declaring war. You know, he's he's slaughtering some of his people. He's sunk some of Uther's ships. And, of course, you know, you have the Red Paladins who are also kind of out of control at this point. They're going basically around the whole kingdom and they're killing all of the Fae. And up until this point, Uther has really not done anything about it. And um, his mother gives him the advice. She tells him to kill Merlin. And then she tells him to ally with the church and the Red Paladins, you know, just to kind of... I guess gain an upper hand in all of this and to have a leg to stand on if and when Cumber gets to him. Um, so we see he does go to Merlin and tells Merlin that he's going to be executed because of treason and, you know, um, also because Merlin did not tell him about the sword of power um, being in play. So Merlin basically tells him, he's like, I have it on good authority that the sword is coming to me. You know, let me let me get it for you. And he was like, I, I can go get it. And Uther's like, nope, you have 24 hours or else you'll die in the morning. And it's like, how is he supposed to get it if he's locked in, the, you know, locked up? But, you know, again, this show and the way that things work and timing works and faith and magic works, you know, um, they just always seem to, things always seem to happen when they're supposed to. So Merlin is literally on the chopping block. He's literally like the executioner literally has the ax in the air. Well, he, he points it out to her, to, to Uther. He, he's like, he's like, how am I supposed to do that? And I'm here. Right. <laughs> you know? And I, I don't think Uther cares at this point. He's just like, whatever. I just, you know. Uther's had it. Uther's yeah, like, you, you need to die. You need plus, to die. plus, he needs a power play. I mean, Uther needs a power play to show to show his people that he's just not sitting back, letting all this stuff happen. Right. Being proactive and saying, "Look, okay, he's the cause of this, so I'm going to cut his head off." Right. Or he didn't do anything, so I'm going to cut his head off. I'm being proactive so I can solve problems. And it's like you know, it's just. But of course. But as things happen, <laughs> Merlin's on the chopping block, and here comes a messenger from the Fae Sanctuary, and it's a message for Merlin from Nimue stating that she would like to form an alliance and that she would like to give him the Sword of Power. So, again, at this point, Uther's kind of, he's got his hands tied behind his back because, you know, the whole thing was you told Merlin he had to get you the sword of power and now literally the opportunity for it to come to you has has just flew, flown in. So it's like you can't you can't really kill him at this point. You've you've got to see where this goes. You know, cuz if you get this if if Uther gets the sword of power, then by all rights he is the king. Right. According to what we've been told about the sword. I was just going to say, can we talk about the note, for instance? Because I think the note was written by Morgana. Yes, the it was. The whole editing process was hilarious. <laughs> and, and, but I think one of the things that it shows is we're starting to see a little bit of the Morgana that we know and love. You know, the, the I don't know, the manipulative, outspoken, kind of hard-edged mm -hmm. rebel. We're, we're starting to see that emerge. 
especially in her, you know, writing the letter, because even was it Arthur who said, that sounds like a threat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming from Regana. It's a threat. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, even, even when, when she and Nimue reunite, uh, you know, it's so funny because Nimue and Arthur are in the cave. Nimue's been asleep and Arthur's been kind of standing guard over her and the sword you know, I guess trying to make up for everything that he's done. Morgana sees Nimue and she embraces her like a sister, like 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 old friends. And then she talks to to Arthur and she was like, We need more hunters. Get up and earn your keep. And it's just like, oh the disrespect. Like like your your own sister ain't got time for you. It's just, you know, she's very harsh with him, but you know, then she and Nimue go for a walk and they talk and Nimue tells her about the sword. And Morgana is, I mean, again, Anthony, you're right. We're starting to see a little bit more of who Morgana truly is. She basically tells Nimue, you know, that sword is yours. You need to use it to bargain for your life, to bargain for the, the life of your people. You don't need to give that to Merlin. You need to keep, I mean, she's basically like yeah. counseling her to keep the sword and to use it for the fake people so it's kind of like okay so we see a little bit more of you know at first it was kind of like how is this how is this nun you know a leader in the fake resistance or you know the the, right. the key figure in the fake resistance and now we see it like you can see her personality starting to show through a lot more especially now that she's away from the abbey you know we get to see we're getting to see a little bit more of who she is and she is a fighter, obviously. She's, she's someone. Not going any pretense, pretense anymore she's that, not. You know, that she's like a nun who follows orders and all the other stuff. Instead, now, now, now she actually, from the fight that she was or, orchestrating from inside the abbey, she's actually on the front lines now. So yep. She has to. So now, now, now she can actually be herself and be more forward about the about the direction that she wants everything to take and how she wants to help she wants to help everybody get get to where they need to be. Yeah. So it's gonna be an interesting interesting thing to see like how she like how how she gets everybody together and things like that. And I you know, I kinda in all of this I kinda I kinda felt bad for Merlin because nobody wanted her to get the sword of Merlin. Like Literally, every time she says she's going to get a sword, they're like, oh, no, what, what are you doing? No, not him. But I mean, Why are you giving the sword to him? Like, oh, my God. It's like nobody nobody has confidence that Merlin's going to do the right thing. No, because he has, a his, he has a history and a reputation for being a betrayer. Yeah, you know, he's, I, I, I still kind of felt bad. It's like, you know, plus everybody's like, he doesn't have any power. Why are you giving it to him? No, you need, you need to keep the sword and lead everybody. Yeah. But it's like that's not Dimway's path. It's like Nimue was Nimue's mother set her on a path, and she blood to heavy headset determined to go to that path and not be dissuaded or distracted or sent another way. She's like, my mom told me to give it to him. I'm giving it to him. She, I think, she really just doesn't want. She, she's trying. She, I mean, she really just wants to help her people, and the only person that she trusts to give her advice about how to save her people is her mom, basically, because she's going, she's doing all this from the words that her mom told her. So anyone else, she's like, no, 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 I'm listening to my mom. Don't listen. 
Yeah, because her mom, her mom knows what the sword is, and her mom told her to take it to Mervyn. Yeah. Right. And those are her dying words. So in her mind, it has to be that important. Yeah, and yeah. I think also we, we see... I I think it's more so about the fact that she trusts that her mom knows what she was doing. And, and we see this later on in the episode when, um, you know, we hear about the Green Knight and how he is the leader of this, you know, he's one of the, the protectors of this Fae Resistance. And we meet him later on in the episode and it's Gawain, you know, and this is somebody from Nimue's village who he, she hasn't seen for years because he's been out, you know, he's been out protecting the Fae. Stop you, you laughing, Mike. Stop, stop. We haven't even gotten there yet. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Stop, stop. And I laughed when that when that reveal came because I was like, oh, we're going to see what Anthony has to say about this. But we'll talk about it. We'll get to you in a minute, Ant. But while she's talking to Gawain and while she's telling him, yeah, while she's telling him about the sword and she's telling him everything, you know, she she's basically, because even Gawain is like, no, Merlin is a traitor. He, he betrayed his own people. He turned on us. Why would you give it to him? Give it to anybody else. I'll take it if I need to. But, you know, he was like, no, don't give it to him. And she and she's like adamant that her mother, she said, my mother, this is what she told me with her dying breath. She could have said anything else. But this is what she said to me. Take this to Merlin. She wouldn't have. And then she stops and she thinks about it. And I guess a kind of realization comes over her. And she realizes she was like, she knew him. Because she doesn't think that her mother would entrust her with something so important to give to a stranger, especially when Gawain tells her, "This is the sword of our people. This this belong this sword belongs to us," you know. And then he gives her a little bit of background on the sword, and I think it's at that moment when she starts putting the pieces together, and you know, we find out a very, you know, a very definitive. Um, answer for her questions when she um, she goes back to see the conjurist that sent the message to Merlin and basically they are suggesting that they meet in this it's kind of like an in-between world so it's a dream state where the both of them can meet together without actually physically meeting because right now Merlin says it's not safe so they get together in this dream world and it's it's in the temple of uh, Nimue's village and when she and Merlin speak Merlin says what what connection do you have to this place because the the spell would only take us to a place that has meaning for both of us he said otherwise it would be like a regular room as far as where they would meet and so she tells him that she's Lenore's daughter and he starts you can see he starts having a reaction to it like he gets to the point he won't look at her and she makes him look at her and she asks him like certain pointed questions. And she says, why would my mother, you know, why would my mother tell me to bring the sword to you? And then she basically says, you're my father. And that's when they both wake up. And I think this is something that we've kind of suspected. But also, if you look at the images that Nimue was seeing right before she entered that dream state, when she was going under, um, you see a flashback of her speaking to her father and even earlier in the episode, and I believe in last episode, we, we saw some flashbacks of Nimue's parents 
arguing about what she was and the curse and, you know, her being attacked by the, uh, the dark gods. And he starts saying something about she's cursed. You know why it's in her blood. Tell me why. And I think at this point, Nimue's father started really figuring out that maybe Nimue was not his child and knew that Merlin was probably her father, but would not say that out loud. I think because of what was going on with Nimue's blood, I mean, we saw in the memory from her attack when she got scratched, her blood was actually glowing, which I think was even unusual for them because all of the Fae Elders, um, when that happened, that's when they started like really weirding out about her. So her father, I think, left because he figured out that Nimoy was not his child. And I, I guess at that point, he was like, she's not even mine. She's not my blood child. She's cursed. I don't have to deal with this deuces, you know? It's kind of like... Yeah, it's like a medieval Mori. But um, it's like, I, this again, this is like, when a story gets retold so many times, you get so many different variations of it. It's almost like, and to to go back to Marvel, it's it's just like so many different different variations of timelines that go here and there. Mm -hmm. that, you know, it could change. It could change whatever happened, but it's but really, it's, I mean, this is why this show is so different from the other. I think you kind of in in a weird way, you kind of have to do that when you're retelling a tale that's been told. Um, Fifty million times. times. <laughs> like you kind, of, you kind of have to throw a curveball in there, and it's almost, it's almost like the what if series. Like Marvel has a good series of comics that says what if such such happened. Like, and it kind of, it, it's kind of like that, where you say, okay, well, what if Nimue wasn't a love interest, but she was actually a child of Merlin? So it's like, you know, it, it's just, it's just kind of another variation of how these things would go. And it, and it definitely changes how people act and what happens further along in the story. Especially since the story being told basically about Nimue and not about Arthur. Mm -hmm. So you kinda have you kinda have to you kinda have to suspend your suspend what what you think is gonna happen. At, I mean, especially especially if you've watched Arthurian tales before and you and you figure out that wait, Nimue's this child. Okay, now I have to look at this. You have to look. You really have to look at it entirely differently. You can't look at it like King Arthur or you know any the Swordstone, any any other Arthurian Arthurian TV or TV show or movie that you've seen. You kind of have to put that to the side. And be like, okay, I need to look at this on the merit of what's actually going on mm -hmm. here. And well, that's that's very much like what Christopher Nolan did with Batman. He said, you know, yeah. you, you just look at the comic books as like the legend of sort of what happened, but what he wanted to show was this is where actually this was the realistic, you know, events. And even in like Logan, we got that one scene where she was looking at the comic book and he was like, well, that's not exactly how mm -hmm. it happened. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of that thing where we're getting, we are imagining someone telling the story from Nimue, Nimue's perspective and this is how they kind of made it work, you know, which is fine. But like now, I'm going to talk about Sir Go Sir Gawain the Green Knight, 
you know, the only uh, the other more popular tale is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is two different people. And here they put it together as one character, and I just found that very interesting. But once again, here we go. She's going to start picking up Knights of the Round Table as they move along <laughs> their journey. And I told you, I, I didn't want to see. It, it's okay. I mean, I, I understand what they're doing. So, like but, I said, you kind of have to suspend. Yeah, I, you just have to kind of go with it and be like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to. We're just going to have to go with it, you know. Now, it will make sense for Arthur to have Faye and regular people on his round table because I guess he's going to be the one that brings everything together. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm better with it, not necessarily okay with it. Um, but it's okay. He, but he does sort of fit the archetype of what the Green, well, not the Green Knight, but what Sir Gawain or Gawain is. I mean, he he seems to be very noble. He's he seems to be maybe an effective fighter and somewhat mysterious. But we'll see how it plays out. He's petty too. He's petty because <laughs> when when <laughs> because when, when the sword, he seemed to be able to feel the pull of that sword as well. You know, yeah, turning in his hand, you could tell that he was feeling something. Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he's petty because when Nimue introduced Arthur to him and she was like, you know, she didn't know what to call Arthur because at this point they had just kind of connected on a romantic level and decided that they were going to try to move forward. But it's so funny because he, you know, he looks at him, he's like, oh, so, you know. You're human. So well, he says, you're a cell sword. And Arthur's like, sometimes. Human. I. He was like, oh, well, thank you for taking care of my Nimue. I was like, oh, here we go with this. No, Nimue set him up for disaster. She's like, this is Arthur, my... What are we? Well, I mean, but... Oh, no. But I mean, she did the same so thing bad. to to Gawain too when she when she was introduced, and she was like, "This is Gawain. He's my, you know, he's one of my oldest and dearest friends." Because it's kind of like you don't know one with Gawain. She hasn't seen him in so long. She was probably still like a young teenager the last time she saw him. So there's no telling. Yeah, there, there was there was such a longer pause between introducing Gawain and introducing Arthur. I but mean, but like, again, it's it's stop, kind of. Stop. But it's understandable because, like, literally, they had just kissed. They had just decided that, I guess, they were going to... They had literally just let down this wall and decided that they were going to take this step. So, at this point, she probably didn't know what to call him because it was so newly established, like, literally within a few minutes prior to that. Like, they were kissing, and they heard all the commotion about the Green Knight coming back, and it was just like, there's no time to have a conversation. Like, okay, so what are we? Was that just a kiss, or are we, you know? It, so, I can kind of understand. There's nothing to a lack of effort in office. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. I'm sorry. It's not her fault. Old boy showed up. I'm serious. When he walked in, hi, how are you? And he literally told him, get the stepping. Literally. You know? I mean, yeah, it's not it's not like Arthur didn't try, you know what I mean, trying to get her hot in the hot in the hot springs and 
is starting because we see he's starting to act a little more noble he's starting to be a little more humble you know when when Nimue woke up you know she immediately woke up because she was having this dream and she was panicking about the sword and the first thing he said to her was it's over there he was like I was guarding it for you you know and it's just kind of like <clears throat> I guess at this point with him, once they are in safety, you know, they're now in Nemos, they are safe, they're not having to run from the Red Paladins at the moment, and maybe he's had some time to think about his actions over the few days, and then even with the conversations that he's having with Nimue right now, he talks about how he feels like he's failed his father, and how he's lost his honor, and he needs to go out and try to, you know, reclaim it, or, or, just to try to be a better person. So I think this is the start of his redemption arc, you know, where he started with, where he starts trying to be a better person. Now that, you know, I think, you know, he's not in any immediate danger. She's not in any immediate danger. And even once they, once they have a discussion, she asks him to stay. He says to her, um, he says, what if you're my honor? What if it's your justice I'm meant to serve? You know, and it's basically, I think, instead of him trying to go and, and, you know, reclaim his honor for his father, you know, which he tried to do. You know, he, he tells this tale in the spring of how he killed one of the men that he thought killed his father. And then it turns out it wasn't the right person. And it's kind of like ever since then, I think, he thought he was getting vengeance for his father and he failed. He targeted the wrong people. He killed the wrong person. And I guess from that point, it's kind of like, okay, I can't even get vengeance right. So why not just do whatever? And I think at this point he realizes, okay, I've got to stop trying to fix this mistake. I've got to start living for me, you know? And part of that, I guess, is going to be doing whatever needs to be done to protect Nimue, to protect the sword, and and I guess to help the Fae, which has not, you know, helping other people I don't think has ever been a priority for him before. And now it looks like it is. So, you know, if if he's having this change of heart, I can I can imagine he wouldn't want to take advantage of her, especially given the fact that, okay, you know what? I've already been an asshole to her from the moment we've met. Maybe I need to just kind of chill and not get myself into whatever this is going to be. And then, of course, that just doesn't work. Because Well, you hear you hear a lot of self-doubt, though. He's, he's like, whatever I touch, I mess up. Yeah. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess you up. Yeah. And, I, think, yeah. I think his redemption arc actually started after she killed all the paladins. Even kind of right when he was leading her to where 
where the sword, where they where they were. I think that his redemption arc kind of started there because if she really didn't trust him, she wouldn't have shown. She wouldn't have went ahead and led him to where everybody else was because she's already betrayed him once. So what's to say that he wouldn't betray them again and lead the paladin right to them and extinguish everybody? So at, at, at some at some level, she she still had that a little bit of trust towards him, trust for him to actually lead him to where the rest of rest of the running fae were and their and their refuge or their hiding spot. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think her mistrust in him was ever about him putting her in danger or putting the fae in danger because think about it, even before he stole the sword to go, you know, settle his debt, he made sure she was in a safe place. So I don't think whatever issues she had with him as far as trust it, it was never about whether or not he was going to betray her or whether he was going to hurt her, you know? I mean, trust, but trust still has levels, though. I mean, it's like if you can't trust, if you can't trust, trust him, if she can't trust him to not steal something that wasn't his, what's to say that can't escalate to him? I mean, that was, yeah, he did that for selfish reasons. So what's to say he wouldn't turn everyone else in for selfish reasons? I don't know. I think, like you said, trust has different levels, and I think it's one thing to not trust somebody with personal belongings, but it's a, it's a whole different thing to not trust someone with your life. And he, you know, stealing the sword aside, whenever it's come to her being in danger, whether it's, you know, whenever it's come to saving her life, he has always come through on that end. You know, he's, he's never put her in a position where, she would where she would be in danger where she would be you know kill i mean against boars against the paladins i mean that paladin i mean think about it that paladin had her underwater and was almost had almost drowned her he could have let her drown and taken the sword and and still been done with it if that was the type of person he was but it's not you know is there there's something different when you show little regard for personal uh possessions and a person's life is two totally different things and i think she knows that when it comes to it he has honor in the most important thing you know what i'm saying yeah i see, I see what you're saying and and that kind of leads back into him gaining like re, like regaining his honor like because maybe like him seeing him seeing Nimue actually wielding the sword, knowing that she does knowing that she doesn't know how that she's not an expert swordsman, but actually wielding it like an expert with them and only and only almost dying because she got the because he got the drop on her. He was like, Okay, maybe there's something to this so that 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 starts the arc of his redemption from there. I mean, I mean, it's just a thought. But I but I told I told you I told you what you're saying. Yep. All right. Let's go to what? What did you call? What did you call her sister? Sister Killabitch or what? What did you call her <laughs> sister? Sister Killabitch with the burning nunnery. Yeah. I, I can't stand that. I and then I think I messed up last time because I think when she approached when she approached the paladin and said I wanted to be what do I have to do to be a paladin and they said bring me the head of the wolf witch and they kicked her in and made her go about her way. I think that was that was this episode, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Um, 
And, you know, it's so weird about that because they were just joking with her. You know, they basically told her, uh, you're a woman. We don't let women in. And when she says, I really want to join you, like, she's, you know, they're like, go home. She's like, I don't have a home. There was evil there, so I burnt it out. And they're looking at her like they think she's joking. They don't realize this chick is dead ass serious. Yeah, and, I, I'm going to need for people to stop inspiring her and giving her ideas. Wow. <laughs> right. And, because know, they took it as... You want to be one? Bring us ahead of the Wolfie. Right. Okay. Well, she's like, okay, I'll do that. And that again, told her anything, and she would be like, "All right, I'm gonna go get it." That and works. again, here, here's here's that whole kicker. She's just out in the woods, minding her own business, eating. She, you know, some fae come across her. She gives them food, which I I don't know if. Like, at this point, I was kind of wondering, okay, are you going to give them food and then kill them or whatever? And then when they said, we can take you someplace safe, maybe she was just thinking, okay, maybe I can go some, maybe they'll take me somewhere, I can regroup, whatever. You know, even though these are fae. But then they literally take her to where the wolf blood witch is. This is, again, how I say, I don't know if it's her faith that's rewarding her, if this is divine intervention, whatever. But it's like, She's on an evil mission and all everything is falling in line for her to complete this miss, mission. Like literally they told they jokingly told her, bring us the head of the wolf blood witch. And then she goes and she gets led to Nemos. And they're like, Oh, you'll be safe here because the wolf blood witch is here. She turns around and there's Nemo and she's like, she's got this evil smile, like, Yeah, bitch, I got you. And I'm just like oh. I'm yeah, not I'm not put the pastor that she actually planned all that. Like she went <laughs> out there and like started cook, started cooking meat and new smell was gonna attract somebody who was a refugee and they were like, Oh, maybe we can get some food and she's like, Oh wait, there. I don't think she planned it. I think I'm not I'm not putting it past her. I don't think she did. I'm not putting it past her little devious ass. Well, all I could keep thinking was she's looking around like, Yeah, this will make some good tender. We can burn this place down real easily. That's, that's all I was thinking. Or, or she's going to be like, yeah, I could probably cook them next. Yeah. Oh. yeah. She's she's looking at all the wood lying around, the roots. She's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, could, I could burn La Florian down, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm tripping about the fact she's, she's there in Nemos now. She's there with Nimue and with Morgana. And they've not bumped into each other yet. I mean, she was literally standing right there when Morgana got word about the Abbey being burnt to the ground. And they did state no survivors, so nobody survived. So she had to, you know, we discussed this on the last episode. She had to have locked them in or something. Because because I would I would think if I, if I was in a building that I saw was burning and I wasn't locked in somewhere, I would be running out the door. So she had to have sealed them in there some kind of way. You know, but yeah. and, and also this with Morgana finding out, you know, we we're talking about Morgana becoming Morgana. This will be one of those things that whenever you watch stuff and you see the bad guy, the villain, there's always an inciting incident that sets them on that path. And this is like, okay, this is the path for Morgana to become who she's going to become. Yep. When not only did you kill all of her friends. You killed her girlfriend, and, mm-hmm. and they're all dead. I mean, they don't, I guess at this point, they don't know if it was arson or not, but all she knows is that they're all dead. 
and she will probably assume the Red Paladin did it. Oh, I think she, she knows that it, I mean, it obviously wasn't an accident because when she's talking to Nimue about it, she says, I have such hate in my heart right now. Yeah. Such uncontrollable hate. And, you don't get uncontrollable her, hate. The yeah. Did it. Yeah, you don't get uncontrollable hate from an accident. You know that that was something that was done purposefully and and horribly. And yeah. even if it was an accident, she's still going to just assume it was the red palette. You know, because yeah. that's what they do. I mean, they took away the abbess to burn her, and mm-hmm. they probably decided, you know what, they're all bad, and they just decided to burn them all down. But at the same time, it's kind of like the the Red Paladins left way before Morgana did. So does she think that they would come back to do that? Or, I mean, would, would she knew. Past, you wouldn't put it past the Paladin to come back. I wouldn't put it past, past, uh, past the card. But I think Morgana probably, I mean, if you think about it, when she got ready to leave, she left because Iris confronted her and she said that iris was dangerous maybe she knows in her heart of hearts that iris was the one that did it or maybe iris talked to send message to the paladin she could have that, that i mean there, there's a lot of things we again this writing we don't really know <laughs> what what may what conclusions she may have led to but we know that she's very very upset Right. And it, and what angry people do is they will find something to direct their anger towards. Right. And yeah. it wasn't like they said, yeah, there was one survivor and it was um, Sister Iris. It was like there were no survivors. Yeah. And but, how they treated and how she already thinks the paladin are bad, how Cardin left the situation, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past her to think that, that they came back. And decided to go ahead and burn them all the switches. Yeah. And it's not like they have advanced forensics where they can match, 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 you know, teeth to, to say, okay, that's her, that's her, that's her, that's her. Yeah. All they see is like a is a is a, a is an abbey, a lot of burnt witches, like well, not burnt witches, a lot of burnt nuns, and they're like, okay, all them burnt, they're dead. Okay, so everybody who was who we think was here is probably dead. So they just yeah. kind of wrote it off as that. So there's no way they could be like, well, Iris isn't accounted for. They can't account for it because they can't. How, how are they going to be able to tell? It's yeah. not like it's not like they inscribed it on her skull. So they can be like, okay, this is such and such. This is such and such, such, such. They can't do that. So it's like, well, okay, everybody's dead. So you can't really tell. You can't really say that she wasn't there. But my question is, so if everyone in the Abbey is dead... Who sent word to Morgana? Like, who knew that Morgana was gone and who knew where to find her in order for her to get word? Well, if if it was a known sanctuary for Faye, maybe some Faye kind of went there and saw what happened. That, yeah, then, that would make we're, sense. We're able to spread that that is not a place for us to go because yeah, it's, it's gone. Since Morgana was uh, Harriet Tubman dumped in other words. <laughs> <laughs> that like, that you know, would they, make they, sense. They, they were like, okay, we need to go see her at, oh, wow, are those flanks? Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, they, <laughs> word was spread very quickly that, that yeah, we, there's there's no there's no sanctuary there. Yeah, right. That's true. Well, speaking of the Red Paladins, so we meet the Pope in this episode. Creepy ass. Why is, well, okay, first of all, first of all, at, at this time, 
why in the world would the Pope leave the Vatican and go all the way to Britain? Like, I because can't he wants to see firsthand what's going reason. on. He wants to see firsthand what's going on, and he wanted to give Father Cardin that tongue lashing in person. <laughs> Yeah, because you could tell he already knew about that stuff. Okay, so so we have Game of Thrones time travel because (laughs) how far is Britain from the Vatican? He literally had to already be there. And and again, I can't see any reason the, the Catholic Church would allow the Pope to go all the way to Britain. Especially but, not they, looking they, the way he did. The Church of England. And that's the Pope. There's only one Pope. That would be that would be from the Vatican. Yeah. I, okay. All right. He. Uh, cause I, cause I, I was thinking like, is it, is it like the Bishop of the Church? I I I kind of maybe I missed. Not that. for the way Father Cardin laid his ass on that ground yeah. when he saw him and said, "Your Holiness." No, that was, that was, was definitely like, for the Pope. Like he literally like yeah. like kissed dirt. I was like, Shit. yeah. Well, the, and the subtitles put Pope. yeah but it's it was so funny first of all um i don't know what kind of restorative powers that bath supposedly had but that pope looked sick he had all kinds of boils and sores ew that was disgusting but he's sitting there you know he's questioning father cardin and father cardin is just sitting there like with this little smile telling him of all his accomplishments and then all of a sudden when he asked him about the losses and Father Cardinal was like, we've had some, some. He like turned into a whole different person. Like he came up out of that tub. Like he was about to attack. I was like, oh, what is, what is going on with this dude? Like, and he just, he gave Father Cardin this like, he basically threatened him. Was like, if you don't get this under control, my Trinity, which is his gold face, uh, his gold masked warriors, will take care of it, and they don't show mercy. And then what does Father Cardin do? He goes out to the Grey Monk, and he basically says, this is your failure. Again, how is this his failure? You told well, him not to look for her. You know, good dog on well, shit runs downhill. So <laughs> if, if you get yelled at, you're going to look at someone below you and be like, this is your fault. And they're going to look at someone below them. Say, but you fault. told him not to search for her. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It rolls downhill. Okay, real real quick. I hate to to keep bringing Star Wars parallels, but (laughs) it's like the Pope so reminded me of the Emperor. He did. Same. Like, I was just like, oh, shit. Like, he even even kind of looked like him. I was like, wait a minute. What's all this shit? But but, but it's like, of course, uh, again... Ad, ad infinitum, ad nauseum, I remind everybody who's listening that Star Wars is based on a whole, is pretty much authorian, authorian based, and blah, 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 all that other stuff. Okay. That's Plus, we're a nerd podcast. We don't care about the cross references. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what we do. But, but it's like, like he, he would give me so many, like, late emperor vibes. Like, it's like, you could, you could actually hear, it's like Father Carden says that him, like, the Pope will not be do not fail me now. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But, I was like, I was like, uh, okay. 
Yeah. And it kind of, it really got me back into because I'm a, cause, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty huge Stars fan. So I was like, okay, I'm back in. Okay, let's go. The Pope's <laughs> army, uh, they those Shady. masks are creepy. Yeah. But the Pope, that's like the Emperor's Royal Guard. <laughs> the exactly. Imperial Guard. The Red Guard, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Pope, though, he does put out the card because the, the Roman Catholic Church has had issues with the martyrs. And it's like, the last thing you want to do is to kill someone and they become a symbol. The Roman Church knows that that doesn't work <laughs> very well for them. You know? This was after Joan of Arc, do, do, do we even know what year this is? I don't think we do. I don't think we, we do. Um, again, it's hard because there's no reason a pope would be that far outside of the Vatican. Well, you're, you're going to go what year or what time frame. If you figure the Church of England, they broke with Henry VIII. This is obviously before Henry VIII. You do the math. This is low, high Middle Ages is what it is. So probably not not 15, too far away from Joan of Arc. Yeah, fourteen something, probably fourteen something, not fifteen. Okay, I'm thinking maybe the twelves. Well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking it's probably when the Holy Roman Empire was was not at its peak, but was probably pretty big. Yeah, probably after Constantine. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It because that that would that would explain why they're there trying to subjugate Britain. They would do the Crusades. Yeah, yeah. and it was also during the Crusades. Because mm-hmm. Father Cardin also said this is not like the Crusades. Well, dude, it sort of is. I mean, <laughs> you're not trying to take back the Holy Land, but you're pretty freaking close. So this is about four or 500 years before the War of the Roses. So yeah, this, this, is, this is solid 1220, 12, 12, yeah. 75-ish. Damn. I know. We, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> We obviously know too much about this. this. No, oh, that's man. good because no, no, you I, guys I, I are. I am for all this. I am at home. I am no, unsecured no, all this. What type of history degree I have? What type of history degree do you have? In military history. Oh, well, okay. there you go. Exactly. I got you. I got you. There you go. Then, then she knows that the Romans had all, the Roman had, Romans in the direction of the Kankatrin had always tried to conquer Britain. And you remember we were talking about other authorian tales, the, the movie with Clive Owen, Arthur was actually a Roman general right? Yeah. Who, who ended up siding with the Celts against the Romans. I need to watch so, that one. <laughs> you know, and Merlin was a Druid, and of course, you know, um, Guinevere was one of, was a, was a Celtic as well. And his soldiers, his immediate lieutenants, were his round table. Mm-hmm. But they turned against the Roman army. Uh, yeah, this, this but, is why I hope there's a second season because they haven't even introduced Winnebury yet. And it's like, it's like, you know, really, since before Arthur becomes king, it's like, really, before Arthur becomes king, it's like, you, it's like you really want to see how he meets Guinevere, but he hasn't even met her yet. Okay, that's probably going to be like season five. <laughs> yeah. we, we still got to collect all the knights. <laughs> now, now, I, I, I teach a little on Wiki just to get a just to get a familiar with some of the characters, and I'm not going to spoil anything. But I was surprised to see who on the show 
turns out to be on the round table. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil nah, it because nah, we're nah, gonna nah, get there. Nah, nah. One of them I thought was really cute, but the thing is, is that we, we don't we're not I getting. Know what you're talking about, too. Uh, okay, we're we're not getting anything with Morgana having magic, which I thought was interesting. Whether they're gonna play that card or not, and then the other thing is, is that I want to see more of Alika. I want to see more of the ice. You know, I just want to see some more of the stuff because Merlin being a druid. They've got a whole many that they can tap just on that one. That's what I was, you know, I was going to mention that because, Lori, they actually mentioned more about the Druids in this episode. I said, oh, Lori's going to be so happy because now that they there's that connection. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have a question. It was or, a, yes. Okay, so, like, the, like the Ice King, who seems to be a really formidable, potentially a formidable opponent, I don't necessarily remember him in most other authorian tales that I've seen. Is I don't like, either. I don't either. Uh, he, to me, he I like, thought it was just me. Okay, because I was like, yeah. well, the, the Thor most of the authorian tales don't have them fighting against the um, fighting against the uh, Vikings or the northern invaders, as the Saxons would call them. But we don't, and the Britons, but we don't, I don't you don't really hear about those in Arthurian tales. Okay, I was just, I was just making sure. Yeah, is they just wanted to create another antagonist for the show, and and this, well, the I, don't, I, don't, of, I don't think there were Vikings in the, the Arthurian tales either, but no, here we are. Not that I can recall. No. <laughs> yeah, because not not only do we have Cumber as far as the Vikings, but we find out the um, we find out the name of the captain for. The ship that Pym is on, and uh, she goes Red by Spear. Red Spear. Yeah, yeah. So now, so now we have infighting between Viking clans. Mm -hmm. You know, ra raiding the shores. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I kind of like the Vikings. I don't, I don't care. I mean, you know, Pym notwithstanding, they they really seem like they're. The, I mean, they, they seem like an interesting foil to everything that's going on in this story. It's like it's, it's an interesting kind of side, almost side quest to see. Oh, there. Oh wait, there are Vikings too. Okay, there's, mm -hmm. there's the Pope, there's King Arthur, and there's Vikings. So, okay, there's a there's a lot of ways that this can go. And oh, we also learned how large the Red Paladin army is. It's Five thousand. That's a lot. Pretty significant. Very. The Pope wasn't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> he was impressed for a little bit until oh. he found out, you know, until you know, Father Paladin couldn't tell him how many losses. But I mean, it's kind of like, so you guys are literally going to war with, you know, against the Fae. You would expect to have some losses, but I think it was more so the fact he was trying to get Father Cardin to specifically say it was because of Nimue that they had those losses, and I think that's where he lost his temper. You know, he was like, and you told the people that she was dead, but, you know, we're still losing people. And he was like, that was just to, you know, to kind of lift the spirits. No, you don't fake a death and, and you know, like you said, and make a martyr out of her because now people are rallying, you know. Well, she's, she's some silly girl with the sword. Right. And you have not, 5,000 Not just any soldiers. sword, though. She's a silly girl with the sword. Right. But as far as the Pope is concerned, it's just her. 
you know, in yeah. a few feet, and you have an army of 5,000. Right, so this is still medieval times, and, and women are still not, not, not thought of as being capable of wielding such power. So, and again, it's always about men becoming kings. Exactly. So the, it, the sword logic does not apply to her, because she's a girl. Yeah. Right. And she's fake. So. <sighs> that was a lot to cut. Co- that was a lot in this episode, though. They covered a lot of ground. They really did. I mean, in, in only like not even 50 minutes, they covered. That was a lot of stuff to cram in there. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it didn't really seem like they rushed it. It just seemed like it, everything that happened kind of occurred naturally. And I was, it's like. God, another Star Wars cross reference. It's like the the the, the gold face ones. It's like they remind me of like yeah, these red guards, but they were really kind of like stormtroopers too. It's just like he's almighty. Like, no, because something tells me that those that 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 little army something tells me they're not gonna miss anything that they go after. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be like more like the like episode eight. Like when, when Kylo, when Kylo and what's her and what's her name were fighting them, and they were like really formidable. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. This this episode with got a lot into it, and it's just it's kind of like it's a trend with Netflix shows. Netflix shows that have more than one episode, they kind of try to get you into the story within the first. Surprise! By first half, the first half of whatever, however long their season is, they try to get you caught up with everything that's getting ready to happen. Then in the last five, they're like, "Okay, now we're going to do. Now we're now we're getting into it." Oh yeah, because now we're at the climax with the two with Merlin and um, Nimue meeting each other. Because that's what we've been waiting for all mm-hmm. season. Right. So now we're at the climax, and the 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 the. The Abbey is burned to the ground. You know, the Fellowship is now rejoined at Lothlorien. You know, your Star Wars, are, I got just as many Lord, Lord of the, the Rings references. references yes. as, as you do Star Wars references. So many references all, all over the nerd map. It's like, it's like I'm, everywhere. I'm being nice because I'm not throwing in any, any fantasy theories, Valdemar in particular, in this one. But no, please. Oh, I'm talking about the uh, Mercedes Lackley Valdemar Herald series, but I won't go into that. But can we agree that this was definitely what, and we've seen it across all genres, this was definitely an info dump uh, episode, but it was a good info dump. It was yes. Oh, it was Game of Thrones comes to mind. Well, they put so much information in it. When I say it was a long episode, it was a very long episode. I mean, I was on my bike while I was watching this thing, and I almost passed out because it was an hour long. But my thing is, is that it gave us so much information that it didn't make it unwatchable, but it made me more intrigued. Well, the the other thing, we were talking about the cross references, and, you know, Frank Miller, who created this, this story in the graphic novel, also did the 300. So the Pope, I was like, oh, he's like an old, crypt, decrepit version of Xerxes <laughs> and his... And his guard, what, what were they called? The yes. And he was like, "Oh, you're doing the same thing again." Yes. I did not even think about that. I didn't either. Wow. 
Yeah, so I, when I saw the gold mask, I was like, oh, here we go, Frank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right back to that will. <laughs> I mean, it's right. you, you know he's going to go back to something that he likes. It's like yeah. all, all, all comic writers go back to their tried and true. Yeah. And like Xerxes had no reason to leave Persia, but in real life he did. <laughs> and here we have the Pope. He left the Vatican and, you know, is going to assume control of the army, which is what Xerxes did in 300. It's the same story. Here we go. Again, yeah. it's, like, it's like, you know, it's, there's, there's slight differences in retelling a story. So yeah. it's like, yeah. and, and he's taking full advantage of being able to retell a story. Well, Which all is fine. I can so say... the writing has got much is much better. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's definitely you definitely like you said the last episode. The writers have hit their stride. Um, they, they still have some holes and some things that don't really make any sense. Oh, but... they're about to. I, I will say they're about to because the next the next few episodes is gonna be like whoa, whoa, mm -hmm. yeah. So so yeah, just be patient. Because things are about to get way interesting. Yeah, we're probably going to pick up another Night of the Round Table shortly. <laughs> I'm waiting for Bedivere and Percival. <laughs> They're coming. I just know they are. <laughs> I have to say that I think I think you're taking the fact that Nimue is Merlin's daughter very well. I, 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 thought, I thought you'd been like, all right, I'm done. Bro. No, but I you mean, know what? When I was actually... When we when we started watching this show, when I was trying to, you know, just kind of figure out what was going on, you know, like we all said, when we first saw the promos and everything, it, I thought it was a gender bend, you know, that right. she was supposed to be author. But I went back and looked at, um, you know, just some history, just did a little research about different Arthurian tales. And actually, the, the premise that Nimue is Merlin's daughter... It's not a new concept. Yeah, it's this not, is, it's, it's actually new. been told in other versions of the story, um, at least in literature before. So I was like, that was new to me because, like I said, I haven't had, I haven't really had a chance to like explore all of the TV shows and movies that have been told because there's been so many. But all of the ones that I've seen, you know, Nimue is either, like you said, Aunt, she's the Lady of the Lake, or she was Merlin's daughter in the old uh, 90s miniseries. I mean, she was his lover in the old 90s miniseries. So the fact that she was his daughter in this one kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, that's different. Yeah, but again, it's kind of like it makes it really interesting because for me, it kind of, it makes Merlin more of a person more of a relatable person because obviously if he has a daughter that means that he had to have allowed himself to get close to someone closer than we've seen him be in these first four episodes you know like what is the reason like of course now that we know like he's he's what is the reason that him and Lenore split because again when he saw her when he handled her there was affection there. There was a lot of care there. So it's not like, I don't feel like that was a casual thing for him. So what were the circumstances to where him and this woman that he obviously cared a great deal about split and then that he has this daughter that he knows nothing about? 
You know, like, was it for her protection? Was it because of some falling out? Now I, I kind of want to know. It kind of adds a, a few more layers to Merlin that I really want to get to know. Like, okay, so what is it about this person? Is this why he's such an asshole now? Because he knew this love and lost. And, you you know, it just adds a little bit more to him now. It, it kind of does. But we also have to remember that in this story, he's well over a thousand years old. So people who live that long have have felt loss, and you tend to distance yourself from anyone that you're going to be able to care about. Yeah. And for someone as old as he is, first, I'm surprised he hadn't had no children before. <laughs> he may have, and they may have died, and he said, you know what, this is well, not they're probably, they're probably like 500 little Merlins running around that he has no idea about. Or, or he just, because being a Shadow Lord, he's watched them grow old and die. And that's probably why he may have years ago distanced himself. And he's also, remember, he's, he's a man in between two worlds. He is, he is advising humans. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, creating human kings. But at the same time, he can't really, the Fae don't like him because they feel like he has turned his back on mm-hmm. them. So he can't go running to them for aid and comfort. So he's sort of, a man without a world so it's, it's going to be tough for him to actually find someone to to care enough about to be that way which is like michael said the affection that he feels for lenora has to be a very powerful thing which would explain why um nimue probably has as much power that she has yeah which is all from him yeah she's power shadow lord and, mm-hmm. right. and, and her mother was powerful too Mm-hmm. So, I mean, then she's getting power from both sides. So, I mean, that has to be really difficult to get control of. I mean, it's like realizing, feeling power from one side, I mean, and being able to control. And that goes back to the first episode where she couldn't she couldn't stop herself from controlling the group to, to grab the girl and almost pull her into the tree. It's like she just couldn't control it. And that's because she has so much power that she doesn't know what to do with it, which kind of, which almost kind of explains why she becomes the Lady of the Lake, because maybe, maybe that has something to do with how she controls her powers. Yeah. But I do like how they, how, how they have pulled different aspects of different authorian tales. Like I, I keep mentioning how in, in some Nim, Nimue raised Lancelot, which, you know, I know the two candidates for Lancelot are the weeping uh, Mike and and Squirrel because he's little. And yeah, yeah, he's would, back in this episode too. Yeah, yeah, he would be the one that that she could quote unquote raise. But I don't. For some reason, I don't think that's going to be. Um, you know, Bedivere was one of Arthur's closest friends, but we haven't met anyone who would be considered Arthur's friend. And Percival was was close to Lancelot. He was younger than most of the other knights. So I, I have my theories, but you know, we'll, we'll see. But I do like how they are pulling different things in. So yeah, Nimue being Merlin's daughter wasn't wasn't anything that surprised me, especially the way that they've written all the other things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the Green Knight or Gwen being Fae, which is, you know, different. That's, that's not something I, I can recall in any of the other tales. You know, it's it's, it's fine. 
And you know that's but, probably. But but, there, but this but the only thing that I'm just concerned about is I don't want to be the person sitting there trying to figure out is that going to be a night? Is that going to be a night? Is that going to be? So that's why I don't like this. Stop thinking about it. Going around. Look at how they. But how did they introduce the Sir Gwen? I mean, he just walks in. He's the Green Knight, and he's like, ah, and it's like, ah, it's Gwen, the Green Knight. Okay, so. Yeah. So it's like they want to throw it in your face, but at the same time, you don't want me to think about it. So it's like they want me to be surprised. They want me to actually kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if it was Michael or Lori who said it back when you first started this, that it seems as if it is sort of written for people who know about Arthurian tales. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like... and so what, what do you expect us to do? <laughs> if you're going to do that... You know, if you're going to make mention of Gwen in the first episode, okay, well, I'm going to be on the lookout for him. Okay, so now, all right, so is this going to be about Arthur collecting the knights, and the knights going to be helping Nimue, you know, do her thing, but they're not knights yet? Oh, there's, wait, Igraine? That doesn't make any sense because his sister's name is Morgana. Oh, her name is actually Morgana. Then, come on, guys, why even do that? Why even do that? And then say, oh, that was my grandmother's name. No, stupid, that was your mother's name. So now y'all got me all confused. <laughs> so to, my, I guess my point is, don't don't do it if it's not really necessary. Like there was no reason to call her Egrain unless you wanted her to actually be Egrain, but then she's not because then she's Morgana. So you know, even even when I mentioned it when I was watching the episode, my wife was like, "Oh well, that has to be a sister." And I said the same thing on the show. Mike was like, "Well, you're just saying that it's because of the same thing." Well. It looks like that's his sister. And then she goes, oh, my name is Egrand. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. That's his mom's name. <laughs> that can't be right. But then the, I guess I'm saying, what was the point of introducing her as Egrand in the first place if you were going to have this big reveal that she was a Morgana when most of us would just know that her name's Morgana? You know? Yeah. And like, okay. why would they tell us Squirrel's real name? Because we know Squirrel's name is not really Squirrel. That's a nickname. So, yeah, there's probably going to be a big reveal about who that is. Better Vera or Percival. We'll see how that goes. But uh, it, it does it if you don't if you don't want me trying to figure out who is who or how this relates to other Thorian tales. Don't hide stuff and then make it a reveal. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I get it, but you have to realize that this story is all about Nimue's development. So well, then I, cut so, all the other stuff out and stop so, making. But but but, but really, it's, a, it's an authorian tale, so you kind of have to throw, you kind of have to leave breadcrumbs as to where it's going to lead, as far as to where, as far as to the main authorian tale that people know about. You, you, I mean, the okay. Plus, it's entertainment. So, if you get breadcrumbs leading you to someone who is going to to into a reveal, then you you know you know there's going to be a reveal. This is a this is a TV show. This is there are episodes you're going you're going to have a re, you're going to have a major reveal or two or three that you're going to be like, oh, I should have seen that coming. Or if you've seen if you've already if you're already familiar with the mythology, you're going to be like, oh man, I I saw that coming from the second episode. So yeah, if if you I mean, you can be disappointed by that and that's fine, but it's like you still kinda have to expect it. If you if you predict if you can predict where the story's going, you just kinda
story that even if you predict it, you still want to see where it's going to go. It's like certain if you not predict the whole thing, but predict certain pieces of it. Like if you can predict, oh, he's probably going to be such and such, or she's probably going to be what you call it, or this is what's going to happen. You can you can predict those certain parts, but there still has to be certain things within the story to get you to stick with it. Because you can because I mean this is this is still a good show. You still kind of are kind of looking like. You're just still sticking around because you're like, okay, something has to happen to Father Card. I wish I wish someone would cut his head off or do something <laughs> really bad to him. Or it's like Sister Iris really has to get someone to smack the smack that smack the shit out of her. So it's like you still have things that want you that 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 make you want to continue to watch it. But if you can predict certain things, and I'm not saying that you're right, I'm gonna put that out there right now. I'm not saying that you that you have actually accurately predicted certain things, but it's good to see. I mean, you have to kind of suspend your suspend your disbelief and say, "I might be right," but if you're not right, you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that's that's an that's an interesting twist." But if you're right and there's something else going along with it, you kind of have to go along for the ride. Well, well, they've already sold me on the journey. Like, I'm down yeah. for the concept of Nimue being. You know, this story being about her. I'm totally down for that. Okay. It's that sometimes I feel like there's some things that kind of detract from that. And yeah, and I totally it, 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 it's just one of those things where I understand subplots and I understand reveals and all that stuff. But if you want it to be about Nimue, then kind of make it about her. And, and sometimes I feel like that gets kind of lost. Yeah, but I mean, how how boring would the story be? I mean, I mean, you kind of, you kind of have to add things in order to kind of keep the story going about Nimue. You can't just have it be about okay, Nimue is the lady who's like so she was out of the lake, but now she's in the lake. So it's like, where do you go in between there? Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm sold on the journey. Like I'm waiting for Iris to set fire to the floor. You no, I mean, no, <laughs> no, no. No. <laughs> Speaking of Iris, I thought it was so funny when she walked into Nemos and uh, she she ran into two of the Fae and they were welcoming her. One of them said, "Come in, you're safe here." And the little boy said, "This man blood smells funny." And I was like, "Yeah, you probably yeah. smell that evil in her." No doubt. No doubt. Like, and she looked at him like, "Uh, but yes." Yes, you stink of evil. You stink right. of hatred. You stink of whatever. Of evil. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, she, she probably walked in and she saw all, you know, all this fae, all these fae people, and she probably, like, all of that hate, you know, she was like the Grinch. Like, her, her hate grew three sizes that day, you know, and they probably felt it. <laughs> but it is, it is, Michael, it is like a puzzle. And I like puzzles, and it's it's very interesting. I have a lot of questions about some right. of the choices they made, like, and some of the inconsistencies. Like, I wouldn't want to talk about it. Like, how bad of a tracker are certain characters? Because, you know, Nimue and Arthur probably went all the way to Nemos, creating all kinds of disturbances, but yet they weren't able to follow them from from the slaughter and the in the lake, the red lake, or whatever they call it. So, I don't know. It just seems like there's some things that the writers is kind of like, eh, he can, he, the weeping monk can track him really well here, but not here. 
But he's not yeah. supposed to be looking for Nimoy, so that's why he hasn't but tracked that's, them. That's true. That's true. He was given a directive. You can't look for her. And, and it's all his fault. And he's not, I, have, I have a feeling that he actually understood the glyphs that he found that led that were leading people to Nemos. That, but he was like, but but it was, it was still, even if, but the, if, if he was fake, that would be a part of him that would be like, okay, I don't know. I'm still kind of conflicted, so... He's like, yeah, these are fake lips, but I can't translate them right now. Like he knows, but his subconscious is blocking him right. from mm. from doing it. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Because I was gonna say, I don't think it's any question at this point that he is fake. At least that's just in in my mind. There's oh, just, he definitely is. Yeah, there's just too many. There's been too many clues, kind of pointing us in that direction. Right, and even how how. They wouldn't let him into the tent with the with the Pope. You know, it, it's like they know something that we don't. Right, like this is your most this is the most decorated soldier for the Red Paladins or for Father Cardin, and he can't even come in. So yeah, I mean, he's the flaming sword of the church. Right. I mean, yeah, like like he's the hand of judgment for them. Like he's the one that's been that's killed so many things. It's like, why would you... Yeah, and you would think the Pope would be trying to recruit him to join the Trinity. But no. Or, or even take over for part of party. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, they know. <laughs> all right. Any final thoughts? I think uh, I, I think I gave all my final <laughs> thoughts already. I gotta, I gotta give a final shout out to Kim because because she was, she was whole, she was a hundred percent in over her head. Like she was like, I, I love the part where she was like, "Are you fake?" She's like, "No, I'm not fake." Like, I don't know how to heal. And she gives, she sees the story. She's like, "Yes, I'm fake. I can heal. Yes, I can do all that." And it's like she, I mean, she was so in over her head, but she still went with it. And I'm like, that in and of itself was just like incredible for me. And I keep I keep thinking that there's no, there's another part of this that we missed, but I can't think of it. But it's like, yeah, like that whole thing is just like when and plus I I'm, I'm as a writer I can recognize foreshadowing a mile away when what's his name showed him showed her the little showed her the necklace that he had oh he's a dead man. it protected him I was like really he's a dead man. I had wrote him down as a possible knight of the round table and then he shows that thing <laughs> like oh, this protection. <laughs> I scratched it out. He's a dead man. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. Come on. Like if that's not I mean that's foreshadowing for your ass. It's like and yeah, I mean, other than that, I still have to shout out the mic drop by Marlin. And the face, then the, the queen regent's face after he said that, and he was like, "All right, see you later." And she was just like, "Yeah," because it was like literally nothing. Like she, he walked in, and she she was her usual haughty self. And then as soon as he got done with that, it's like there's nothing she could say. Yeah. Like just silence. I was like, "Oh, okay." So yeah. he 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 got he won up to her. Because she was thinking that she was all free and clean. He was like, no, I've got her in <laughs> hiding. I'm keeping her safe. And she's like, damn it. You and know? you can tell that she's not used to being one up. And, like, and she thing. was prepared. Here's the thing. What if he's lying? What if he's I don't think. 
I don't think because because of her reaction, I don't think he's lying. I don't think he's lying. I think if she really thought that she that he had no leg to stand on, she would have opened her mouth and she would have given him a comeback. But the fact that he said that to her and her reaction, the fact that she said nothing, yeah, I think she knows. Oh, that's where she disappeared to. That's why because I'm pretty sure this is somebody who knew that secret more than anybody. Like you were literally the person who exchanged money. So my thing is, if you were the one person keeping this huge secret safe and you were the one person that can threaten my, you know, threaten revealing my secret, there is absolutely nothing I wouldn't do, especially if I had the things at my disposal that I'm sure she as Queen Regent has at her disposal. That, that girl would have no safe place on earth to hide. And the fact was, that she has not been able to find her, yeah, I, I, yeah. Was this before or after? Was this after he was about to be beheaded? This was after. After, way after. So yeah. he knows that he she told Merlin, she told Luther to have him mm-hmm. executed. Mm-hmm. And so this was him pulling his card. This was like, okay, this is the game you want to play? This is what I got. Right. Even if he was bluffing, the fact that he said it and she reacted, he was yeah. like, "Oh, well, snap!" So there must, so there's a possibility. Even if, even if even if he had no idea that someone was there, right? Again, again, this goes back to him being Captain Jack Sparrow, mm-hmm. being, being smart and figuring stuff out and saying, "Okay, you know what? She, I'm hiding her," and yeah. looking at her out of his side eye and saying, and then she's like, "Why?" And she's smart enough to know that he wouldn't say that unless he actually knew. Right. And then the other thing is, he had too much detail. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a difference between yeah. hearing a rumor that Uther is not the true blood heir and then to have all that detail. Every, yeah, there, there's there's no way that he he was bluffing. He had, that, that has to be a card that he played. My my last two cents on the whole thing. She didn't follow through like the Egyptians do or any other great king. Whenever you build a great monument or a tomb or whatever, what's the first rule? You kill everyone who would work on the project. She obviously had one to get away. She should have had that in place. Even if you could hop the plant the last minute with the baby being stillborn, she should have had that look. First of all, uh, where's her Jafar? Where, where's the little, um, does there council guy, you know, the little henchman that sits underneath the queen? Mm-hmm. Where is that guy? Okay, you know who I'm talking about. The one that does the right. right. Yeah. Where is that guy? Because he would have got the stuff done. That's all I'm saying. He was probably, he's probably, he was probably killed too. <laughs> he was probably killed too, and he was probably killed because of the fact that the midwife got away. Probably, probably. I'll give you that. Yeah. You're right. I'll give you that. Because I had to, she can't do it alone. She's the queen. You had to have her little vizier, councilman, henchman guy that was boosting her up all this time. And yeah, you're right. Yep. So the question is, what is Uther going to find out? I mean, what is Uther going to do if and when he finds this out? <laughs> what's, 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 the, what's the queen regent's next move? Right. Because now you know that someone is aware of your secret and that the person who can validate that is also alive. 
she's going to have to make herself indispensable to Uther. Mm-hmm. And all her advice has got to be perfect. Yep. Either to Uther or to someone who can oppose Uther and take the throne. No, it's the thing that a whole lot of people, like, power is the, is the most addictive drug ever. And if she has it, she's going to win. She's going to do anything to control it. So is it possible that she could go to the other side to be, mm. to be promised another role? I no, don't think so. Drag. Again, she would be, they would execute her immediately. Right. Because, because she would still have friends on, on the court. And you have to control the court in order to control the lords to get them on your side. And if it, it would, for her to, to turn on, if she were to join the Ice King, the first thing he would do would be to execute her because mm-hmm. she's, she would still be a threat. Because even as his advisor, she would still have sway with the court more than he would. Yep. So she, he, he, she couldn't. Her, her lot is going to have to be to, to boost up Uther and have the Pendragons stay in control because of the control they have over all the lords. There's a reason. Damn, I don't really need to look up, need to hold up all my medieval, medieval history because I'm, I'm, I know, I know nothing. Okay. <laughs> Repeat what you said, Laurie. I couldn't hear you. You cut out. There's a reason why kings who come into power conveniently move their mothers slash mother-in-laws to the guest house. Right. They send them way, way to the state. Way, way, way. way. Yeah. Yeah, they usually have, that's why they have all these different, you know, states. Yeah, they, they send them to another estate and, and have them over there taking care of the grandkids or whatever. They they don't want them anywhere near the court because depending on how savvy they are, they can control the court. Yeah. And, and usually the the monarch, especially if it's a male, he does not want a woman being able to tell him what to do. Yeah. True. Yeah. Otherwise, they would. They if they would, they would just behead them and be done with it. <laughs> but they can't do that. Well, yeah. No, actually, you're there. You really do. Yeah. But they they try to they try to get them out of the picture immediately. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness he doesn't have a sister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is why, which I know this is another cross reference, but that's why Game of Thrones was so frustrating because oh, oh. you know, sir, he, he, whoever, like I know, Tommen wasn't the smartest of them all, but he should have known that his mother was a problem, and you know, got to get rid of her. Marjorie knew it, and Marjorie was trying to get her out of the way, but she underestimated Cersei. So, queen, queen mothers, and queen regents are are always an issue with kings, and especially their their queens. Tell Cersei it was me was the best line possibly ever written, second only to Babylon Five, when Lando says to her, "What are you trying to do, you pale faced moon faced sucker of joy?" <laughs> Alright, fine. I'll start watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> wait, wait. You haven't watched Game of Thrones? I haven't watched Walking Dead either. What do you want from me? And on that note, we are going to end the show. <laughs> you can find us at fandomhybrid.com. 
We are also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for joining us. We hope you join the conversation next time.